and I'll read verses 1 through 7 from Exodus 17. Then all the congregation of the children of Israel set out on their journey from the wilderness of sin, according to the commandment of the Lord, and camped in Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore the people contended with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. So Moses said to them, Why do you contend with me? Why do you tempt the Lord? And the people thirsted there for water, and the people complained against Moses and said, Why is it you have brought us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried out to the Lord, saying, What shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, Go on before the people and take with you some of the elders of Israel. Also take in your hand your rod with which you struck the river and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock in Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and the water will come out of it, that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. So he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah, because of the contention of the children of Israel, and because they tempted the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and we... Uh, like the Israelites that were present there, can appreciate being thirsty. So we pray, Lord, that you would uh, appease our thirst, our spiritual thirst, by the power of your word. Thank you now. Please open our minds and have us to obey you as we understand your word and apply it to our lives. In Christ's name, amen. Well, this seems familiar. It's like deja vu all over again, isn't it? This is a pattern that we're seeing. And I want to uh, first just walk through what I just read, just kind of hit the highlights so that we all are clear as to what's going on. So in verse one, the people are thirsty. And we saw this before. We saw this, it was the very first thing that happened when they came out of uh, Egypt. And so here they are, they're thirsty again. And what we now see though is a little different. And so we'll bring out the differences. And in verse two, Moses rightly directs them toward God. Therefore, the people contended with Moses and said, give us water that we may drink. So Moses said to them, why do you contend with me? So he's rebuking them for at them attacking him. The people complain bitterly in verse three towards Moses again. But what does Moses do in verse four? So Moses cried out to the Lord saying, what shall I do with this people? Now, what is Moses doing here? First, he's being patient with these people who are holding him accountable for something that he really ought not be held accountable for because he is a servant just as they are servants. And he's modeling faith for them. They're in a bad situation. He knows that. He doesn't have some secret stash of water himself. He needs water just as much as they do. And so what he does is model for them what they should do in their hour of need. And that is go to the Lord, talk to him. So he models faith for them. And then we go into the resolution of it from verse five, six, and seven. And so the Lord explains to him, go to the people and take some elders. And so he solves the problem by having Moses strike that rock in Horeb and the water emerges to satisfy the thirst of the people. So that's just the highlights. We could see that the people blame Moses 
Moses rebukes them, but then he models faith for them by being patient with them and talking to God on their behalf, all of their behalf. This is the pattern of unbelief that we see over and over again among these people. They are whiners and complainers, and they don't know God. They want someone to blame, and because they don't know God, they don't really blame God. They're blaming Moses. They're blaming the person that they see who is the spokesman for this invisible God that they do not see. So they want someone to blame, and then they blame Moses. And then in verse 7, Moses named the place Masa and Meribah, which means tempted and contention. So he named it for both of these things. And they said in verse 7, is the Lord among us or not? They want God to answer their needs immediately. They don't like being in want. And they have this Moses guy telling them that they have this all-powerful God that they personally have seen save them over and over and over again, who's providing them bread every day in the manna, who appears as a cloud in the sky to bring them shade in the midst of an overbearing desert, yet they still insist on they don't see this God. They don't see the presence of this God. They complain. Now, I haven't used an illustration in a long time. Someone had mentioned to me that I was the movie illustration king, but I hadn't used one in a while. Now, many of you might not know this movie, though, because uh, though it was popular, it was 20 years ago, and I certainly don't recommend it, uh, at least not if you don't play it on clean flicks or something, because it has some pretty rough language at points. But it was Forrest Gump. So I don't know if you remember the theme of Forrest Gump, but he's this fairly slow-witted guy who ends up going over to Vietnam as a soldier, and he develops this relationship with uh, his direct superior, Lieutenant Dan. So Lieutenant Dan is blown up. He has his legs blown off. Uh, Forrest saves him. He picks up his body without less his legs, and he runs him to safety. And Lieutenant Dan hates Forrest for this because he'd have much rather died in glory on the battlefield than be half a man back in the United States. And so the rest of the movie has him and Lieutenant Dan interacting. And at one point, uh, Lieutenant Dan, he just wants to drink himself into oblivion and ultimate death, but Forrest uh, makes him commit to helping him fish for shrimp if ever he were to buy a shrimp boat. And so he does. So Lieutenant Dan shows up. Now they're out there shrimping in the Gulf and there are no shrimp to be had because there are all these other competitor shrimp boats at that time. And so then Lieutenant Dan is always challenging Forrest's faith. As a matter of fact, earlier he said, Forrest, uh, have you found Jesus? And Forrest said, I didn't know I was supposed to be looking for Jesus. He has Jesus in his heart. He doesn't have to go looking for Jesus. But so in the boat, Lieutenant Dan is so angry. I mean, he's been angry with God pretty much since his legs have been blown off. But now he says, Forrest, where is this God of yours? And then Forrest says, it's funny Lieutenant Dan said that because right about then God showed up because a big storm came and destroyed, uh, sent them through this maelstrom, but their boat survived, whereas so many other shrimp boats were destroyed. And they ended up being a very successful shrimping outfit because of the destruction of all the other boats. But the illustration is this, though. 
that relationship between Forrest Gump, his simple faith in God, and Lieutenant Dan, and his constantly blaming Forrest for the fact that he feels put upon by God, but yet he never talks to God himself. He will just fight with anybody else who claims faith in God. And he, he's attacking faith through these other people as opposed to going directly to God. That, I believe, is exactly what we see at work with these Jews. They are not contending with God himself because they lack faith to trust God. But they will undermine and attack anybody who evinces faith in God. And the person there that they are attacking is Moses. Now, I want to cover this one point before we go on because I think it's important. Uh, we have this uh, phrase uh, in verse 7, uh, let me, oh no, 6. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock in Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water will come out that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. Moses struck this rock, water came out, and supplied water to them. But then, what is amazing is we know from 1 Corinthians 10, verses 1 through 5, that it's more. So this is Paul explaining to the Corinthians, Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea, all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. But with most of them God was not well pleased, for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. 1 Corinthians 10.4 says, they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. Now, we know that describing Christ as a rock is metaphorical. Yet, there was a real rock in that wilderness that was physical. It provided water to the Jews that day. This says it followed them. Now, what many nowadays will say is that they will spiritualize it, and they will say that what followed them was the goodness of God. That's what followed them throughout their wilderness journey. It isn't that rock that followed them. It's merely the goodness of God that followed them. And I really don't believe that's what the text says. The text says the rock followed them. And I believe that to be the case. Now, we know that there were miracles happening, happening every day with these Israelites. Every day. The manna would fall down from heaven and they would go out there and make it. The cloud of God's Shekinah glory or the fire of God's Shekinah glory was present constantly. There were these daily miracles that they were inured to. Another miracle, however, is this rock that they could constantly, because you never hear of thirst again. That rock provided them continual refreshment throughout the rest of their journey. I don't know that it was necessary that they see the rock move like they would have seen the cloud move or the tower, pillar of fire move. It may have been that it's just everywhere that they camped, boom, there's the rock. How did that get there? I don't know. But I believe it was a physical rock. As in addition to being representative of Christ and his providing for them, I believe 1 Corinthians 10 states that fairly clearly that this is the rock that followed them. It wasn't just God's spiritual goodness. It was actually a physical rock as well, bestowing that physical goodness upon, that spiritual goodness upon them. So, modern commentators play that down, and I think it's wrong to do so. 
Now, I want to ask you a question. I'm going to go back to something I covered a few minutes ago. Uh, and I want you to think about this and answer it honestly. You don't have to tell me, but, you know, it's in your heart. Are you a whiner and a complainer? If nobody nods, then I know you're a liar in, in addition to being a whiner and complainer. Because all of us whine and complain at times. If not outwardly, at least inwardly. Woe is me. Woe is me, we all think. We know this. So we combat it. Some of us combat it very well. Others of us may combat it very poorly. It varies throughout our lives. And yet we all tend to be whiners and complainers just like these Jews. What does that reflect? It reflects the same thing it reflected with them. A bitter heart of unbelief. So when we whine and complain, when we blame others for our circumstances as opposed to ourselves, or we bypass the middleman and go directly to God and say, God, why? Why are you doing this to me? That's what Job did immediately, didn't he? He didn't blame any of the physical means that God used to do what he did. He went right to God because he knew that it came from God. Whereas we tend to like to stay out of fighting directly with God. We think we are being wiser or shrewder, maybe even more religious, by taking it out on people on this earth, when in reality our bitterness is stemming from our own unmet desires, and they're pointed at God ultimately, because He's the one that is either bringing difficulties into our life or withholding blessing from our life. So, if we answer honestly and say, yes, sometimes I tend to be a whiner and a complainer. Do you recognize it as wrong? Do you nip it in the bud? Do you recognize that this is not what God would have you to do? And do you want to do it differently? Now, if you recognize that you can whine and complain at times, you have to follow that to the next logical statement. And that is, do you recognize it? Do you deal with it? Do you attempt to justify it? Yes, but, yes, but, yes, but. No, no buts. Accept it. Be responsible. Accept the fact that we can all whine and complain and we can project our angst against many others, whether it's people on the road, uh, uh, members, our loved ones in our home, uh, members of our church, people we work with. All of those people are potential victims of our misplaced frustrations. If we really, if we really want to be honest, we have to go to God with such things. When we're frustrated and we are tempted to whine and complain, we have to go to God and say, God, why has this happened? Please teach me. Open my eyes. Make me more thankful. So Moses did the right thing. He modeled faith for the people. He patiently endured their criticism and then took it to the Lord to say, God, please help me. This is beyond my ability to cope with. Moses was always going to God like that, and it was the right thing to do. And so may we do the same in the week ahead. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for uh, the life of Moses and the wonderful model of faith he is to us. Uh, we love you, Lord, and we don't want to be whiners and complainers. Uh, we want to uh, address our unbelief, the root of bitterness that can crop up in our heart so quickly, and we want to kill it off. And so, Lord, by the power of your spirit, we pray, please have us to be wise and have us to be uh, adults and mature in this regard. Thank you now. Thank you now for your presence. Thank you for your goodness. And we pray that you would be with us now and in the week ahead, uh, ministering your grace to us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.